Just a short prayer. So, Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, would you open our hearts, open your word to our hearts, and our hearts to your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Rogation Sunday, then, it's the day when the church has traditionally offered prayer for God's blessings on the fruits of the earth and the labours of those who produce our food. The word rogation, I understand, is from the Latin rogare, to ask or to pray. And interestingly, I came across this word while learning Spanish uh, a few years ago. That's one of the verbs that they use. Historically, the rogation days are three days before Ascension Day. And as Ascension Day is Thursday, we're not far off that, are we? It was a period of fasting and abstinence, beseeching God's blessing on the crops for a bountiful harvest. Few of us today directly derive our livelihood from the production of food. Yet it's good to be reminded of our dependence upon those who do and our responsibility also for the environment. We hear that word quite regularly these days, something we may have neglected in the past. Afraid we collect most of our food from supermarkets and we tend to take it all for granted until perhaps we see some empty shelves. And there have been some empty shelves on the... Uh, the corn flour, the vegetable oil, those sort of shelves just recently, obviously because uh, the sunflower oil is not getting in from Ukraine. <clears throat> Due to that war, there's a shortage, and also there are 20 million tonnes of grain in storehouses going nowhere. Uh, this could have a huge knock-on of consequences for many nations throughout the world, and not to mention what it will mean for farmers in the Ukraine. What are they going to do with this year's crops if last year's crops are still in the barns? I think it could be, unless there is some solution to this, it could be a real disaster for them and many others this year. I thought then it might be appropriate to reflect for a moment on the agricultural heritage of our own village and the many changes that have taken place in our lifetimes. Um, what we've just seen with the uh, wonderful uh, horses, uh, international level, as Ulrich told us, um, up, up at uh, Furlong Farm, um, that was one of our fields, as I said to you earlier, some of you earlier on. And uh, I, we used to grow, it was quite a good field actually for growing wheat or barley. Um, quite good soil, it got much thinner as you go up onto the, uh, on towards the aerodrome. Um, but the, the, the fields along the top of the village, quite good soil really. We used to grow our best crops on those fields. But that's a, it's a kind of a symbol of the way things have changed in this village because there's no working farms in this village now, uh, the only horses um, that I remember were our, our heavy horses. We used, when I was quite young, my grandfather used to have two heavy horses, Captain and Tommy, and I rode on them. They weren't very comfortable, but uh, um, that's almost the only horses in the village. Uh, Mr. Scaramanger, who had Manor Farm, his wife used to hunt, and they had a couple of uh, hunters as well. So I was brought up at Field Farm, just along the road, and uh, <coughs> the middle yard, which was just a rickyard with a barn and a couple of sheds, there was no house on it at all. But being fortunate enough to, to inherit it, we have built several, one of which we still live in. 
also Hill Farm at the bottom of the village where my uncle brought up his family. The farmyard opposite uh, the house was where uh, Ian and Sabine Dupre, who were with us at the road this morning, um, have their home and their holiday flat. Crofter's Barn, which uh, Peter and Sybil converted from a barn a good many years ago now, Sybil, uh, used to be my uncle's um, garage and general sort of utility shed. <clears throat> when he retired, he built Hill View uh, on what we call Back Lane in the vegetable garden. Here, my, my aunt lived there for the rest of their lives. We had a mixed farm. There was a small milking herd, about 15 cows. They were eventually pensioned off in favour of beef cattle, which didn't have to be milked daily. Uh, we also kept laying hens and sold eggs at the farm gate. And the land stretched from the Risington airfield in the south, along and to and below Church Westcott, several fields deep down uh, to the north. The different soil types and depth was and is still, of course, considerable. Westcott Hill, very stony with very little soil at all and without fertiliser, which is now extremely expensive, uh, or manure, very difficult to grow much on it. The fields that ran between the village and the A424 and just the other side of the A24 were indeed the best ones we had. They had a reasonable depth of soil, a little thin over the ridge, but would generally go crop, grow good crops. We grew corn, usually wheat or barley above the village, and sometimes um, several acres of potatoes, which we would sell at the farm gate as well. The soil on this brashy and stony land tends to dry out quickly, so it needs plenty of rain, hence the, uh, the reference to a dry spring. I remember my dad used to say, we needed a good rain every week at this time of the year, April and May, and I think he was about right. Below the village is a very different story. As you drop down into the valley, just along the bottom edge of the village, um, you come into clay. Uh, unless weather conditions are just right, these fields are not easy to cultivate. In some cases, anyway, they're too steep. But uh, they were mostly permanent pasture for grazing. Several, like Burton's Bank, we used to cut grass for making hay. And that was quite a challenge, as it's one of the old ridge and furrow fields. And uh, when you were baling, uh, going round at the end, the, the back end of the baler would hit the ground if you weren't very careful. So, how do we link this farming experience with the parable of the sower, which Alan has kindly read for us? I suggest with one word, and that word is soil. On our farm, we had three types of soil, and Jesus had three types of soil plus the path. Let's look first at the setting of this narrative. Because of the press of the crowd, Jesus spoke from a floating pulpit a boat within hearing distance of the crowd on the shore. Well, I assume it was hearing distance. I'm beginning to have a problem with hearing these days. Ul Ulrich uh, gave us a running commentary in the uh, arena up the road, but uh, I'm afraid I didn't hear very much of it because he didn't have a microphone. I'm sure if I had have done, I would have found it very interesting. Jesus spoke from a floating pulpit, a boat within hearing distance of the crowd on the shore. Try to picture the scene. I wonder whether he was watching a farmer sowing seed on the fields, which would gently rise up from the lake. 
He would, I imagine, be broadcasting it from a container around his waist, secured over his shoulders. It's a fairly random method, and the seed would fall in different places. You would think not at all idea, ideal. I understand that this, similar to the old field system around here, which you still see behind Peter and Penny's house and at Broadmere in Nether Westcote, strips of land. The fields in Palestine were in strips with paths in between with rights of way for the farmers. So when some of the seed fell on the path, which would have been well trodden down and there was no soil at all. For the local birds, however, it was a godsend. Uh, I reflect on what we spend on filling our feeders in the garden. It's quite an investment, but I'm, I hope anyway that they're very grateful. Um, Hazel was quite excited to see a squirrel on the, uh, the bird feeders. I wasn't really, but um, uh, they are lovely looking little things. And that's very unusual for us. We don't have many squirrels around here. I think you have more in, in Church Westcott, more trees perhaps along there um, anyway that's the first thing the path no results at all no fruit at all like our fields around here they were not uniformly good and there were rocky places <coughs> that had very thin soil interesting their rock in Palestine is limestone like ours in these places, the plants did germinate, in fact, quite quickly, but without a good root system, they withered in the hot sun. And thirdly, some seed fell among thorns, perhaps around the outside of the field next to the path where the cultivation was not perfect. But wherever they were, they grew quicker and stronger than the seed, and they choked it. Something of a relief then that some seed fell on good soil and produced a crop, albeit in different proportions. And then Jesus explains to his disciples the spiritual or real meaning of the parable to those who would listen. And I suggest this parable also has a significant meaning to all who read it today. And there are two main elements in this story. <clears throat> the seed and the soil. Firstly, the seed is clearly God's word for us, the Bible. More specifically, perhaps, the good news about what Jesus has done and can do in our lives, and more of that in a moment. Secondly, the soil. We ourselves are like the soil. And the challenge now, today, is to ask ourselves, what kind of soil are we? to receive God's word into our lives so that it will grow and then produce a harvest. Firstly, I very much doubt there is anyone here in our congregation, in our, our fellowship this morning, that are like, that have lives like the trodden path, where the devil, like the birds, has snatched away the seed before it stands a chance to grow. If your heart was hard like that, you probably wouldn't be here. Sadly, though, we have loved ones and we have friends and neighbours and without making any arbitrary judgments um, may just relate to that scene. What can I say but that God never gives up on anyone? His love and mercy to us all is infinite. Like the story we were reading on Thursday about the prodigal son, 
There was the father waiting for him to come home. It was a wonderful picture of the love of God. It's like he was out there every day waiting and waiting. And I wonder how many days he had to do that before his son came to his senses and came home. <clears throat> Remember Jesus says, I came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. I suggest that if he doesn't give up, neither should we. Keep praying, keep loving, and keep watching for signs of softening hearts of better soil. Keep sowing the seed, even when there doesn't seem to be much fruit. And that's a real challenge for us in these villages. It's wonderful to see almost a full chapel this morning, but that's not always the case. Um, but we must keep sowing the seed. We must remain faithful, even if there doesn't seem to be very much fruit. Secondly, the one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. I don't know about you, but I sometimes wonder how I would stand up under persecution. You know, there are many nations throughout the world today where Christians are persecuted. It's amazing to me how faithful they are. Um, in fact, the church often grows in those circumstances. It's amazing. And it's a privilege to support Open Doors and others who do whatever they can to stand alongside them. Uh, Open Doors send us their monthly prayer manual. There's a couple of spare ones at the back. I'm constantly humbled by what these dear ones have to endure. As I said earlier in the notices, Ruth is going to share an update on Zoom this evening. If you would like a link, just let me know. Some of you already have it, I know. <laughs> Thankfully, we don't face persecution per se, but we do live in an increasingly secular culture which is moving further and further away from Christian ethics and principles. I can foresee a time when to remain faithful to the Bible and the Bible-based beliefs, it will be costly. In fact, as we were saying in our Bible study on Thursday, some have lost their jobs and been ostracized because of standing up for their faith may become more challenging to sing a hymn like the one in our hymn book, I'm not ashamed to own my Lord, or to defend his cause, maintain the honour of his word, the glory of his cross. Moving on, three, the seed fell amongst the thorns. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth chokes it, making it unfruitful. Don't know whether some of that rings a bell with you, but it does for me. What can I say? Because I'm a worrier by nature. I'm well aware about what Jesus says. Do not worry about tomorrow. It will take care of itself. I love singing what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And I do try, but I find it hard. I take my worries to Jesus and then often I bring them back again. When I read this first, I thought, well, I suppose it's, it's one or the other that will get you. Either the worries because you haven't got enough or things are going wrong or worries about your family or else. Everything is fine and the wealth will take the place of God who because of your wealth you don't need. 
But on thinking deeper, I, I thought, no, you can easily experience both of these things at the same time. You notice it says the deceitfulness of wealth. You see, people think that if you're wealthy, you're exempt from worry, but that just isn't true. Wealth won't save us from poor health, from broken families and relationships, or flawed personalities. These things like the thorns can affect our relationship with God, stifle our witness, and spoil our joy in life. So it's almost with a sense of relief that we find in this story, in this parable, finally, that there is seed. And I guess a lot of seed which falls on good ground. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Jesus doesn't continue here to explain what a fruitful life would look like, but there are plenty of other scriptures that do give us a really good idea. And I will give you just one, and with that we will finish. But I'm reminded of the question which was always asked of the person who was driving the combine at harvest time. How is it running? Meaning, of course, how well is the corn running into the sacks? We used to have sacks that were very heavy, by the way. How is the crop yielding? Everyone who receives Jesus into their lives in any way and at any time receives also the gift of the Holy Spirit to live within, to guide and to help through life's sometimes difficult times. He will help us to make good decisions and good choices. Every day we face choices and it's sometimes hard to know which way to go. What does this harvest look like? I suggest it may even be in the shape of a shoebox. It will almost certainly be in the shape of time and care for people, friends in need. I think of friends we have, have had who have been street pastors. Friends who were older than we were, still going out until they were not well enough to do so. The early hours of um, Sunday morning. God's word will help us on a daily basis to produce a good harvest. And I quote from Paul's letter to the Galatians in chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I suggest if we measure ourselves against that list, we may have some idea of how we're doing, what kind of a harvest we are producing. But never be downhearted. Never be downhearted because we are all a work in progress and our God is loving and gracious and he'll never give up on any one of us. And I cling to that. Let us pray. So, Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll bless your word to each one of us today, that we will be challenged and inspired to produce a harvest from that word in our lives, that we may be good ambassadors and witnesses for you to our families, our friends and our neighbours, that we might take every opportunity to share that word for we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.